0: Well, I don't know what um, what your week was like this week, but over at the um, Centers of Disease Control, which is what we're calling our house now, we had a really interesting week. And um, it really, in some strange ways you'll see in a minute, connects to what we're going to talk about today. If you were here last time, you know that we began a new series called Forgive and Live. And what we're doing over the course of three weeks is we are taking kind of a fresh look at one of the most powerful forces on the planet, forgiveness. And and as we were kind of putting this series together and I was kind of thinking of where we wanted to go, I really knew exactly what we needed to talk about each week. First, if you were here last week, you know that we needed to begin with God, that any understanding of forgiveness has to begin with Jesus. And kind of as a group, we had to kind of come to an agreement or an understanding that first and foremost, we are forgiven people. That yes, all of us, we've got our hurts, and some of those hurts cut deep, but the foundation, the very foundation of forgiveness, the first step in offering forgiveness to that person who's hurt you is realizing that you've been forgiven, that you have received the gift of forgiveness, and there ain't nothing you've done to earn it or deserve it, which is really important because that's how we have to offer it, right? I mean, for many of us in here, you've been hurt, some of you have been hurt in ways that really are kind of beyond comprehension. And for some of you, you're still being hurt. Maybe it's, it's an act of hurt, but maybe more likely it's a hurt that lives on in your memory. You can't shake it. Maybe it's, it's the hurt that you're just living with the ramifications of that hurt, of that offense. And the truth is that the person who hurt you doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And you know they can't earn it, And many of them, and this is what is so frustrating, sometimes they don't even want to be forgiven. But listen, where there is a real hurt, there's also a real need, sometimes maybe just for yourself, but a real need for forgiveness. Because if the old adage is true that hurt people hurt people, then isn't it also true that forgiven people forgive people? So that's what we did last week. We laid this foundation of forgiveness where we saw with us and God that before we took one step towards God, before we even obeyed the first rule, before we knew the first rule, that God looked at us and very personally said, I am the Lord, your God. Relationship before rules. Forgiveness and acceptance right from the start. Just powerful stuff. But that's, that's just the foundation, and we need to build on that. We need to kind of run with that. We need to use that. And like I said at the beginning, I knew where we needed to go the next two weeks. I knew what, what we needed to talk about, but I wasn't sure, you know, which one should kind of come first, so I was kind of praying about that. I was talking about that with Lisa, kind of going back and forth, and just wasn't comfortable about which way to go, so I did this. This really happened Monday night, right before I went to bed. Before I put my head on my pillow, prayed a very simple prayer. I said, God, I need to know which direction to go on Sunday, and I need to know by tomorrow morning, amen. That was the prayer. Pretty simple. And crazy as it sounds, I actually believe that somehow in my sleep, first thing in the morning, somehow God would answer that prayer, and he did. I told you our house was the Center for Disease Controls this week, and it sounds like some of your houses were kind of the same way. Well, last weekend, my youngest son, James, on Saturday, got sick. Fever, flu-like stuff, just kind of a mess. On Sunday, my wife got sick, same kind of junk. And on Monday, I pray that prayer, and on Tuesday morning, bam, I wake up. I'm right there with him. And it wasn't just like this minor thing. You really don't need the details. It's not pretty, I promise you. But, But somehow in this, and you've been here, haven't you? Somehow in this, when you're sick, or you're going through some kind of a difficulty, for some reason in those moments, God has your undivided attention. He has your attention, maybe in ways like he's never had it before. And as I was going through Tuesday, the first of about four or five boxes of Kleenex, I knew exactly where God was leading us today. God has been working in my heart and in my mind over the past year, he's been opening my eyes to a truth from his word that I had never seen before. And it's, it's a truth that you're gonna find at the end of this message just offers some incredibly powerful freedom. And all of this leaves me convinced at this, that there is somebody here today in this room, hopefully more than one, but there's somebody here who needs to hear the truth of this message. And I would prefer next time when God wants to get my attention that he would have us win the lottery, which we don't play the lottery, that kind of adds to the miracle of God right? But for somebody in this room, our family, man, we were just sicker than dogs this week, okay? So I don't know who that is, but listen up, because this is for you. The truth I want to share with you is highlighted in a familiar story. When we go to the story, you're going to know how it ends. Many of you, you know how it ends, you know the story, but I think when we get to the end, maybe you'll see something you've never seen before. If you brought your Bibles, go over to uh, Genesis, first book in the Bible. We're going to be in chapter 37, And it's the story of Joseph, not Joseph and Mary, that's a couple thousand years later, but kind of Old Testament Joseph. And Joseph, as you're turning there, he is an interesting guy who came from a fascinating family. In Joseph's family, his father was a man who had several wives. And just like some of you parents sometimes play favorites with your kids, Joseph's dad played favorites with his wives which would be a really crazy system. I think he likes her more than he likes me, and you're married to the guy, right? Well, Joseph's dad had a favorite wife, and he's just a guy of favorites, and of course her children were his favorite children, and he even had a favorite children amongst his favorites. It was Joseph. He was the favorite of all his children, And on top of this whole thing, as as this story kind of begins, the background is that Joseph has had a couple dreams, and these dreams are just great dreams for Joseph, but really not at all for his brothers. His dreams, he sees his brothers, his family in the future, bowing down to him. Great dream for Joseph. He's going to rule over his brothers, but Joseph kind of liked to stoke the fire a little bit like to get together with his brothers. They'd be out in the field. They'd be around a campfire. And he'd say, guys, did I ever tell you about that dream? Did I ever tell you about, you know, you guys bowing down. Did I ever tell you about that? And his brothers hated him for this. Here's how our story begins. Look at Genesis 37, verse 18. Joseph's dad has sent his brothers out, or, or, or has sent Joseph out to find his brothers. And Joseph goes to find him. And here's what happens. As Joseph's walking, it says, or the scripture says, they saw him in the distance. They saw Joseph coming. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Now, you think you've got problems with your family, right? I mean, I bet you've never done this. You've never been like in the kitchen or maybe in the living room and you hear your sister pull in the driveway. You're like, oh, got a great idea. Honey, come here, come here. You go open the front door. And I'm going to hide in the closet with an axe. And when you open the door for her, I'm just going to jump out and like let her have it. Right? I mean, this is a crazy, dysfunctional family. They're plotting to kill their brother. It's just crazy. Look at this. It, it goes on. 37, 19, and 20 says, they say, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Don't you know they'd have had a great time around Christmas? That's a family you'd want to be with, right? I mean, so here comes Joseph, who's really, in the grand scheme of things, he's done nothing wrong. And they see him coming, and their first reaction is, we got to kill him. Then, maybe the most enterprising of the brothers thinks, you know, yet we could do that, we could kill him, but man, we could make some money here. Maybe we can just sell him. So this debate goes on between, be, between his brothers. Should we sell him or kill him? Kill him or sell him? Sell him or kill him? And it goes back and forth, and finally they eventually decide, yeah, yeah, we'll sell him, we'll go back home, we'll tell dad that a ferocious animal attacked him and that he's dead. We'll sell him, we'll make some money. You can just feel the love in this family, can't you? So Joseph, make sure you see this. Just a few hours ago, he was from a wealthy home. He's the favored son. I mean, life for Joseph is good. And his future is absolutely certain. He will live in luxury. He will inherit wealth. His future could not be better. But all of a sudden, in a matter of moments, Joseph's life does a 180. He's stripped of everything he owns, and he's chained wrist to wrist to a slave trader marching across the sand towards Egypt. Joseph's whole life changed in a matter of minutes. The slave trader takes him to Egypt, where he's auctioned off as a slave Joseph, a guy, again, who grew up with servants, who grew up with slaves, now is one. And here's kind of the catch. He is only 17 years old. just so happens the captain of Pharaoh's army, a guy named Potiphar, buys him. And look at what takes place next. Our story takes an interesting turn. In Genesis 39, verse 1 and 2 is where we'll be. It says this. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. But check this out. Scripture tells us, and the Lord was with Joseph. I read that and I want to say, time out. Hold on, hold on. If the Lord had really been with Joseph, he would not have been sold as a slave. Right? Right? I mean, I think, I don't know, I think being sold as a slave is a pretty good sign that God is not with you. I mean, if the Lord, I mean, well, I mean just watch this. If the Lord had been with Joseph, when his brothers just tried to lay their hands on him, a voice would have bellowed out of heaven saying, don't touch him. I'm with him. His brothers would have been killed have been dropped over dead because after all, the Lord was with Joseph. But see, here's the irony, here's the tension, and here's where I think where we live. Suddenly, here's a guy who overnight has gone from wealth and prosperity and a certain future to suddenly, all of that has been stripped away, all that's been taken, everything changes, and really just kind of the blink of an eye. And I think in those moments, if you'd have asked Joseph if the Lord was with him, I think he would have said, you know, I know he used to be when life was good. But now, I'm not so sure. You see, isn't it easy for us to see things to, or to see God when life is good? I mean, when you've got the job you want, when your marriage is going great, or, or, or you're with that special someone, and, 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 and the bills are all paid, and you have extra, and you've got time on the beach coming up, and everything is good, and you just look around and you go, wow, there's God, and there's God, there's God, there's God. But when life isn't so great and the marriage is on the rocks or maybe the job offers just don't come and the bills can't be paid, if someone was to ask you in that moment, hey, is God with you? I think our honest response would be, well, I think he used to be, but now now I'm not so sure. The story goes on. Look at Genesis 39, 2 to 4. It says this. It says the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Now, maybe that sounds good, but remember, Joseph is still hundreds of miles from home. He's a slave, and this kid is just 17 years old. That's key to what happens next. Look at what takes place next. Going to be in verse 6. It says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. She's a shy girl. But he refused. Joseph did the right thing. Listen to what Joseph says. He says, With me in charge, he told her. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one in this house is greater than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. Check this out. Look at what he says next. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Hold on a minute. Joseph, you mean the God who allowed your brothers to sell you into slavery? Is that the same God we're talking about? You mean the God who allowed your brothers to go back home and to tell your father that you've been killed and now your father is hundreds of miles away mourning your death. Is that the same God, Joseph? Is this the same God? I mean, just hear me here. He's 17 years old and this is Potiphar's wife, the number two man in all of Egypt and I'm thinking she's kind of, you know, right? He's 17 years old, undergoing unbelievable temptation. Is this the same God that you don't want to disappoint? I mean, Joseph, you're 17 years old, and your parents are a million miles away. You're alone in a foreign country going through unbelievable temptation, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking God owes you a few, right? I mean, Joseph, you're just way ahead on this faithfulness thing. Be faithful to God? Listen, why would you be faithful to God? Because there's no evidence that God has been faithful to you. And Joseph says, no, couldn't do that. I couldn't do that in sin against God. I am going to remain faithful. The story goes on. Potiphar's wife persists in trying to seduce him, but he continually refuses. He continually says no. Look at verse 10 in chapter 39. It says, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. And suddenly she turned into sand and the wind blew her underneath the door and she was never seen or heard from again because the Lord was with Joseph. Maybe your Bible doesn't say that. (laughs) But isn't that what you would expect to happen? Right? I mean, this guy is being faithful. He's following the rules. He's doing the right thing. Don't you expect in those moments for God to show up in some kind of miraculous, strong way, and rescue you. Don't you expect God to honor that faithfulness, right? I mean, when you're obeying the rules and you're doing the right thing, doesn't God owe you a job? I mean, doesn't he owe you health? Doesn't he owe you a relationship to fix your life, whatever the issue is, when you're doing the right thing? Doesn't he owe you that? You remember how Joseph is rewarded for standing strong in the face of temptation? Look at what takes place next. Go down to verse 12. She says, come to bed with me. But Joseph, it's great. He left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Sometimes that, that, that's your only choice in the face of temptation It's just to run. He ran. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until her master came home. So she's playing the part, right? I mean, she's playing the part of the victim. Just kind of picture, she's on the palace steps, crying. She's weeping, holding on to this cloak, ready to tell her story. Then she told her master, her husband, this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Of course he did. This is his wife. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, what do you think is going through Joseph's mind right about now? I know what I'd be thinking. God, I did the right thing. I mean, hello, I should get an award. I am due a miracle here. Right? I mean, isn't that what you're thinking? But that's not at all what happened. Instead, he obeys God. Again and again and again, and he does the right thing, and he's thrown in prison. Story gets even stranger. Now, I don't want to be sacrilegious or too strange here, but just look at what takes place next. Go down to verse 20, 39, 20. It says, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. I'm thinking, I don't want God to be with me in the prison. I don't want to be in prison. Right? Then it goes on and it says, and the Lord showed him kindness. Kindness? I'm in prison. God, if you want to show me kindness, how about this? Get me out of prison. Right? Then it goes on and it says, and look at this, and this is kind of crazy here. It says, and it granted him favor, God granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, just use your imagination for a second and try to picture what the prison warden must have looked like 5,000 years ago. right? Getting a picture. And the Bible says, "God granted Joseph favor in the eyes or I don't know, maybe, maybe just the eye of the prison warden." right? I mean, this is not this is not good news. I mean, if you're Joseph, big deal. I've got a new friend. It's me and this guy, right? I mean, things are just really looking up if you're Joseph. There's no way Joseph is thinking that. He's thinking exactly what we would have been thinking in this situation. He's thinking, God, I've been good. God, I have done the right thing. Hey, God, really appreciate the new friend here but how about getting me out of prison cuz i don't deserve to be here remember what takes place next finally the prison warden turns things over to joseph and joseph is just so organized he's an incredible leader and then as the story goes pharaoh he gets mad at two people he gets mad at his baker and the cupbearer the cupbearer's job basically was to taste the wine and if he didn't fall over dead the king could then drink the wine it was a great job life insurance was really high i'm sure but These two guys, Pharaoh gets mad at, and Pharaoh sends these two guys into prison, the same prison where Joseph is. And while they're down there, they have dreams, and they can't figure out what these dreams mean. Look at the end of Genesis 40, verse 8. Joseph offers to interpret the dreams. It says um, in Genesis 48, Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So they go, and, and they tell Joseph the dreams. And then Joseph says, but when all goes well with you, a few verses later, he says, when all goes well with you, you see, basically, here's here's what's happened. The cupbearer has been told that eventually he's gonna be restored to Pharaoh. Joseph interprets his dreams and says, good news for you, Mr. Cupbearer, you're getting your old job back. You're getting out of prison. This is a good dream. The baker, not so much. And if you're Joseph, you're thinking, ah, aha, this is it. This this is my way out. This guy is going to be restored to Pharaoh, and oh, I can finally see God moving. I can finally see God's hand at work. I know exactly how this, this is going to play out. God, you worked it out. You sent the cupbearer down here. I've interpreted his dream. He'll go back to Pharaoh. He'll tell Pharaoh, hey, there's this guy down there in prison who he can interpret dreams. He's incredible. You've got to get this guy up here. And Joseph's thinking, I can see how it's finally going to work out. Look at what Joseph says next. He says, "Um, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Look at how Joseph defines kindness. He says, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Joseph can almost taste his freedom, right? Right? I mean, it's right there in front of him. He knows his days in the prison are almost over. Or so he thinks. Verse 20 to 23 says this. It says, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And Pharaoh gave a feast for all his officials. And in that feast, he lifted up the heads of all his officials, of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of all his officials. He restored, just like Joseph said, the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hands, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. But check this part out. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. You ever feel forgotten? You ever feel like God has just forgotten about you? I mean, you look around and things are going great. For everybody else, their marriage seems perfect, their job—they just got a raise. They're going somewhere great on vacation. Their kids are doing great; they're doing A's in school. I mean, everything—everything is going so well. And you think, God, if—if you'll just give me that one interview. God, if she'll just call, if he'll just agree to go to to the counselor just this one time, God, I've got this plan here, and if you can kind of get in on it and work on it with me, I can see how this thing can finally turn around. I can see how it's going to work out, and then it doesn't work out. And you feel forgotten. That's how Joseph is feeling here. And remember, remember, he's a guy who again and again and again, the Bible said the Lord was with him. The Bible says two more years go by, and Joseph, goes. He's, he has now gone from age 17 when his brothers first get rid of him. Now he's 30 years old. Two more years go by, and he's gone through tragedy after tragedy, and for all he knows, and I think it's impossible for us to fully comprehend, for all he knows, he will spend the rest of his life in a hole in the ground in Egypt. For all he knows, that's what's gonna happen. And the whole time, as we're gonna see here in just a minute, The whole time, even though God was silent, God wasn't still. God was working kind of behind the scenes in Joseph's eyes to accomplish something so unbelievable through Joseph, even though it was impossible to see during the prison and the seduction where he ran away, and now the prison again and being forgotten. Through all these years of suffering, impossible for Joseph to see it but God was indeed with him. Real quick, because we're running out of time. Look at, here's kind of the cliff notes of how our story comes to an end. Look over at Genesis 41, verse 1. It says this. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Basically, Pharaoh has a dream that no one in his palace can interpret. All of his diviners, all of his astrologers, all these people cannot tell him what his dream means. And word starts to spread through all of Pharaoh's officials. Pharaoh's getting worked up. Nobody can tell him what his dream means. And the chief cupbearer's like, oh, I know what I gotta do. It's like, he goes back to Pharaoh, and says, hey, Pharaoh, do you remember that that misunderstanding we had a few years ago? You know, you threw me into prison. You remember that? Great times, real fun. It's great. Remember, you know, you sent me down there with the baker and you know, he didn't make it. Well, well, we were down there, we met this guy. You've probably forgotten about him, but there's this guy down there. We had dreams too. Couldn't figure out what they meant, and he told us what the dreams meant. And what he said is exactly what took place. Pharaoh said, "Stop talking, go get him." So they go get Joseph. They clean him up. They get rid of that old prison smell. He says goodbye to his one-eyed friend, the Shrek prison warden guy. And he goes, and he stands in front of Pharaoh, and this is just incredible. Pharaoh asks him to interpret his dream. And after all these years of suffering, after all these years of feeling forgotten by God, look at how Joseph responds. In Genesis 41, verse 16, Joseph says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And you want to say, okay, hold on, hold on. Same God. Same God. Same God who allowed your brothers to throw you into slaves. Same God. Same God who allowed you to be tempted and you stood strong and then you went to prison. Same God. Same God who who has allowed you to languish in prison from 17 to 30 and you were just convinced your life was gonna end. Is this the same God we're talking about? Same God. So Joseph interprets the dream. And when he does, Pharaoh's response is amazing. Watch this. Uh, Verse 39 to 41. It says, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, he's interpreted the dream, and Pharaoh says, since God has made all this known to you, There is no one so discerning and wise as you. And again, we can't begin to comprehend this. He says, you shall be in charge of my palace. All my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. There's just no way Joseph, back when he was 17, could have had a two, a five, or a 10-year plan thinking, you know, if I let my brothers throw me into slavery, I can rule the world. That's what I think I'll do, right? I mean, this is not the result of some well-orchestrated plan. I mean, this is obviously a God thing, right? I mean, isn't this about a God who had been at work the whole time perfectly positioning him for something that Joseph knew nothing about. And in one day, just like his life 13 years ago switched to a 180 in one day, in one afternoon, he goes and says goodbye to the jailer and goes to bed that night in the palace. He's the number two guy in basically the entire world. Remember how the, how the story ends? God allows Joseph to, to foresee this severe famine that's gonna not just strike Egypt, but really the whole region, and Joseph comes up with this genius plan, and he tells Pharaoh, if we do this, we will not just be saved, but we'll be sitting on a surplus of grain, and it's gonna help us gain more power and more control. So Pharaoh does the plan. And sure enough, the famine hits. And Joseph's family, his 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 good brothers back home and his dad, they're there and they're running out of food. And they hear word that in Egypt there's extra grain. So Joseph's dad sends his brothers saying, Go to Egypt. And go there and buy, get some grain so we can live, so we can eat. And when they go there to buy the grain, guess who they've got to buy it from? Joseph. It's been a long time. In fact, it's been so long when his brothers see him, they don't even recognize him. So Joseph has to reveal himself to his brothers. Watch this. Genesis 45, 4 to 8. says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. You can kind of hear the do kind of music, right, going on. And when they had done so, he looked at them and said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. They're scared. And he says, but don't be distressed, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. In other words, you thought you did this to me? I thought you did this to me. No, God did this. He goes on and says, for two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverant. Watch this. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Isn't that just an incredible story? I mean, the life of Joseph, the uncertainty, the difficulties, the suffering. I mean, there's just no way to comprehend a life quite like that. I mean, and it's really just an amazing story of God's protection and his provision, his guidance, his plan for a life. And then right there at the end, what is so beautiful, the grace and forgiveness that Joseph offers his brothers. Completely undeserved, completely unearned. That's powerful stuff. We can learn from that, can't we? But at the beginning this morning, I told you that here at the end, that we try to see something that maybe in this story you've never seen before. It's something that, I just feel like God's been opening my eyes to this, and it's, it's really found here in this last sentence. Look at it again. Joseph says this to his brothers. He says, So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was not you who made all this suffering and difficulty and uncertainty take place, but God. Let me ask you a question. How was Joseph able to say that? How do you think Joseph came to a place in his spirit, in his mind, where he no longer saw himself as a victim, where he no longer considered his own goodness and righteousness, but he was able to see himself completely submitted to God regardless of what that cost him. How did Joseph get to that point? Thought about this for so long. I just hope I can explain this to you. You see, I think Joseph's brothers weren't the only people, weren't the only ones that Joseph had to forgive. And I don't think sometimes the only person you have to forgive is the one who's hurt you. Because, you see, there is a sovereign God who is intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. Just like God is with you in the sunshine, God is with you in the rain. And sometimes the only reason it rains is because God sent the storm. You see, I think during that two year time period where he's forgotten and he's left alone in prison, I think Joseph had some pretty open, honest, angry, real conversations with God. God, I don't deserve to be here. I did nothing wrong to deserve prison. You made a promise over my life. You haven't shown up. I've been left alone. My dad thinks I'm dead. The list just goes on and on and on. God, I don't deserve this. You've let me down. You haven't held up your end of the bargain. I think Joseph had those real kind of honest conversations with God. And we can have those two. God's big enough to handle that. But I think what happened at the end of it, I think at the end of it, I believe Joseph, watch this, I believe Joseph for, forgave God. Let that sit for a minute. Let that, let, let that be uncomfortable. I think Joseph forgave God. Now understand this. God had done nothing wrong. And God certainly did not need forgiveness. We're not saying that. But Joseph definitely needed to forgive God. Joseph needed to destroy that wall that had been built between him and God, that brick by brick of unmet expectations of of God saying he's with him but really not seeming like he's with him, of not showing up, of not providing, of not honoring his faithfulness. And I think before he was going to be used by God in amazing ways, before the God, the promise that God had spoken over his life would come to pass, I think Joseph needed to destroy that wall that had been built between him and God. I think Joseph needed to forgive God. And this morning, maybe some of you do too. Now, hopefully this explains it better. And One of the best books I've read about Jesus lately, a guy named John Eldridge, talks about this same idea, and he writes this. Maybe this puts some flesh on it for you. John Eldridge writes this. He said, if you are holding something in your heart against Jesus, the loss of someone you love, a painful memory from your past, simply the way your life has turned out, if you're holding that against Jesus, well, then it's between you and Jesus. And no amount of ignoring it or being faithful in other areas of your life is gonna make it go away In order to move forward, you're going to need to forgive Jesus for whatever these things are. But Jesus doesn't need our forgiveness, you might protest. I didn't say he did. I said that you need to forgive Jesus. You need it. So this morning, what are the walls that need to come down? How have you been disappointed by God in the past and it's kept your relationship with him from being everything God desires it to be. It's kept you from being fully surrendered and fully healed and fully used by him. Maybe it's time today to go home and get alone and just have it out with God. Tell him the ways you feel like he's disappointed you. Have it out, and then leave it with him. Forgive him, and be set free. Because through it all, even when you can't see him, maybe especially when you can't see him, the truth is that the Lord is with you. Let's pray to him. Father, we love you. You are a good God. Lord, sometimes we aren't happy with what's going on. We don't understand why, God, you haven't shown up, why you haven't made the hurt stop sooner. We don't know, Lord. What's the next step? So, God, in every way that we feel like that we've been let down by you, even though it's it's not true, God, we just tear down those hurts, we tear down that wall, we we, we, we step away, and we don't hold that against you anymore. We just completely surrender to who you are, to the plan you have for us. And God, in some very real sense, I think just like Joseph did, we forgive you, and we experience the freedom that only you can offer us. God, you've done nothing wrong. Our sight is just so short. We can't see your hand at work. But God, help us trust you. Help us live in that forgiveness and help us be able to give it to others. We love you, Jesus. Amen.